Uh, let's just open up in a word of prayer and we'll look at Galatians 3. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that we get to have it in front of us. What an amazing privilege that we just get to have your word open in front of us and we can hear from you directly by your Holy Spirit and uh, know you and build our relationship with you and be conformed by how you would have us transformed. We just we love that, Lord. So we thank you for this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so the problem in Galatians that Paul is dealing with, he's kind of dealing with two problems at once. He's, the main problem that he's dealing with at a spiritual level uh, is that the reality of our flesh, okay? Like there is a problem with our flesh in that we are unrighteous, we are not justified. And those two words, essentially the same word in the Greek, righteousness and justification are the same thing, and uh, that we're not qualified. And so Paul has to deal, the whole Bible has to deal with that problem, that we as humans have that problem that we're not justified. The other problem that Paul is dealing with here on the surface, though, is what's going on in the church, that people have literally come into the churches after him that he began in the area of Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey, and they are distorting the gospel message that he founded those churches on. In fact, the gospel message that deals with that problem of our lack of righteousness and the fact that our flesh needs to be justified before God. And so these people have come in and they're deceiving young Christians so that they doubt what they have heard and experienced about Jesus and by the Spirit that it's enough to justify them. And so we called these people the Judaizers because they basically took the Judeo religion, right, the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, and they were saying, yeah, we, we like Paul. What Paul is saying is right. Christ is the Messiah. We believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that he came to save us. But you also have to continue in the law. You have to eat kosher. You have to recognize the festivals. You have to not uh, mix with Gentiles and unclean people. And so they said you needed Jesus, plus you also need the law at the same time. And Paul is losing his mind over this because he's tried so hard to be clear that Christ has fulfilled the law and you don't need the law anymore because Christ has already fulfilled it and that is not the good news. If we try to add to what Jesus has done, understand this, basically you're going to God and you're saying, you know, it was great that you sent your son and you died for us and that he gave up his life and bled and gave us a new covenant in his death and resurrection, but look what I did. I went to church all this time and I went to Sunday school and I memorized these Bible verses. Give me some credit here. Like, Jesus was great, but look what I did. And nobody wants to go to God and say that, right? That's just ridiculous. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying it's ridiculous to try to add to what Jesus did and what has been done for you in the Holy Spirit by things that you do in your flesh. And that's what we're going to get to today. But he's gone through a long argument here. He started out just saying straight up, there is no other gospel, okay? Stop listening to these people. There is no other gospel. If anybody else, even an angel comes and tries to teach you anything else, they should be accursed. And then he explains that the gospel he shared came right from God, not from any other men, in, verse, in chapter 1, 14 to 23. And then he goes on from that, and he shows them that what he taught, that gospel that he taught that came from God, was also affirmed by other apostles who were also taught by Jesus. And he does that in 2, 1 to 10. And then he goes on, and he gives a real-life example of the truth of the gospel at work among Christians at Antioch. And you remember, he was retelling that story of when he confronted Peter in terms of how he was starting to slip back into the law because he refused to eat with Gentiles. 
Even the Apostle Peter was starting to slip back into the law. And so Paul uses this example of his confrontation with Peter in chapter 2, 11 to 14. And then we took a couple of weeks and he unpacked a pretty technical argument about how the law itself, through Jesus who fulfilled the law, has actually made us dead to the law and alive in Christ. And that was at the end of chapter 2. And we saw Paul's language of law and faith shift into the language of death and life. We are dead to the law and we are alive in Christ. And so now in chapter 3, that's just a quick recap, so now in chapter 3, Paul isn't really going to let up. I mean, he has, he's picked up a real head of steam here, and now he's going to expound on this idea of this new life that he's been talking about and the life lived in Jesus and what he means by that, specifically by bringing in the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is moving in chapter 2 from the truth of the gospel and the argument from the law now into the experience of that new life. And that's the shift here. It's from the truth of what is true about the gospel and the truth of the gospel now into the experience of the new life. And specifically, the new life that the Christians have through the Holy Spirit. And now, so that, ex- that experience, ha- how it affirms the truth of what the gospel has to say. How our experience in sort of new gospel living should encourage us to know that our faith in what Jesus has done is properly placed. And we need all of this, right? This is our problem. We share this problem. We all need to be justified. We all need to be qualified. We all need to be counted as worthy of walking into the presence of God. We have that flesh problem, right? We're unrighteous unless something changes. And so we need this gospel that Paul is talking about. We need the problem solved. But we also need to know the truth and our trust is rightly placed We need the experience of new life. I mean, it's great that we have this sort of gospel reality that we know is true, but isn't what we really want the experience of that new life, that new life that Paul is talking about, that the life he now lives, he lives in Christ Jesus. And we need that experience as well, to experience the transformation that's taken place. And that's where Paul's going in Galatians chapter 3. And so I'll read verses 1 to 9, and we might spend a couple of weeks here. We're definitely going to do 1 to 6 today. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then... Does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. And so then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. All right, Paul's plowing on with his argument here. He is not going to let up. And he is still letting his emotions out in this letter. He starts out in chapter 3 saying, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Right, And we know that in Galatians, it's one of the first letters that he's written. And uh, he hasn't really 
fallen into his style of letter writing yet, and he's, he's pretty wound up in this particular letter about what's going on in Galatia. And he started out kind of annoyed that these Judaizers in Galatia were calling into question the gospel that he preached and disrespecting his apostolic authority. And then he got really wound up, you remember in chapter 2, remembering how he had to confront Peter in front of the whole church. And he was very emotional in that part of the letter as he was remembering that. And then his emotions just kind of continue to ramp up here because he started out the letter in, in, chap, in verse uh, chapter 1, he started out saying, Greeks and peace to you, Galatians. Right? He, he started out very friendly and cordial. And now, you know, just a few paragraphs in, in chapter 3, he's saying, you fools, you foolish Galatians, you foolish, foolish people, what are you doing? And the Greek word here for fool is uh, actually eneotis, which comes from the root word for mind. And it means something like, have you lost your mind? Have you lost your senses? You know, have you misplaced your understanding of what is going on here? And I think it's interesting because Paul's going to make an argument here from Christian experience, but he starts out in making his argument from Christian experience in the Spirit from asking them, have you lost your mind? Have you lost your understanding? Have you abandoned reason, you Galatians, that you don't know what's going on? He says, who has bewitched you? Or who has fascinated you? Or who has charmed you? that you have been led astray because you stopped using your mind. You stopped using the gray matter. You stopped understanding the truth of the gospel, and it's allowed somebody, because of you, you stopping in your understanding, to be led astray and bewitched and confused and fascinated. And I don't want to miss that point right off the bat. Because In Scripture, God leads us from truth into experience and not from experience into truth. God grants us a new life in Christ and an abundant life in Christ. Jesus says, I've come to give you life and give it abundantly. A dynamic life, an energized life in Christ, Paul says elsewhere. The Christian life is one punctuated by profound experiences of love and of encouragement and power and transformation. But understand this, that those life experiences come from truth. They come from understanding which leads into those experiences, not the other way around. It's not our experiences that then tell us things that we should believe are true because we've experienced them. It's not our experiences that define for us what truth is. Rather, truth leads us into real-life experiences with God. And that's important to understand because there's a lot of people out there that would say, you know, just go with your experience. Just have this experience of, you know, mystical religion, something. And from that experience that's unique to you then, now you define what you believe to be true about God out of your experience. And Scripture doesn't argue that way. Scripture says, no, this is true. And when you understand this truth, there is abundant life experience for you. But not the other way around. Don't just go, you know, smoke some peyote and sit in a longhouse and have a mystical experience and then say, oh, I understand the universe now because I've had some experience in my life and that tells me everything that I know to be true. Scripture never argues that way. It's the other way around. And so Paul says here, You Galatians, you've lost your reason. You've lost your mind. Who has fooled you? Because you've 
And you don't understand the experience that you have, but let me talk about that life experience. What is this experience of the new life in Jesus? And Paul's going to point us in that direction with a series now of rhetorical questions. He says, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And that little phrase there is referring to the Galatians. Who's bewitched you people who before your eyes you had the crucifixion of Christ displayed? And this is describing the Galatians. Now, nobody in Galatia probably actually saw Jesus crucified, okay? It's a long way away from Jerusalem. But what Paul is trying to say here, and the word is prographo, and you can hear the root word there of graph and the prefix pro, Paul is referring to the fact that he put before them the picture of Christ crucified. He says, you Galatians, I, I showed you this. I painted you a picture, probably not literally, but with his words. I painted a picture for you of the events of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. I set before you the good news of who Jesus was and what he did for you. In 1 Corinthians 2.2, Paul says that he was resolved to know nothing except Christ and Christ crucified with the Corinthians. Wherever Paul went, he preached the gospel. That's what he did. He set before people the picture of Christ his life, death, and resurrection. And he's saying, you saw this. I came and I gave you this picture of the gospel and I showed you who Jesus was and what he did. And so who's charmed you away from what you know? So he's like, let's go over it all again then. Let me see if I can figure it out. He says, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Have you ever been in one of those arguments where the person you're arguing with is just kind of going all over the map? But what about this? But what about this? But what about this? And and they're kind of have excuses and reasons and hypothetical situations. And, you know, it's you're trying to argue with them, but it's kind of like trying to nail jello to the wall. You've been in those situations before. And you really just this is like a simple argument. Why is it getting so complicated? And this is what Paul is doing here, right? He's saying, look, you, you know, you just finally say, all right, enough. Just tell me one thing. Just, just tell me this. You know, I'm, I'm tired of the 500 other arguments. Just tell me this. And this is what Paul is doing. He's saying, I've heard all these arguments about the law. You know, I've heard what these Judaizers have said. You know, this and that and blah, blah, blah. But look, just answer me one thing. Christian, believer, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just answer me that one simple question. When I came and I told you the gospel... And it was like nothing you had ever heard before. And you responded to the gospel and were saved. And you received the Holy Spirit. Did you have that experience because of the law? Or because you heard the gospel and responded with faith? Just answer me that question, Galatians. It's a simple question. And it's a rhetorical question because Paul knows the answer. And he knows the Galatians know the answer. The law never brought them the Holy Spirit. The law never did anything to... Give them that abundant life, that energized life, that transformed life. So Paul is essentially saying, I know you experienced this. You didn't just hear the gospel and say, that's a true story that I can believe. You heard the gospel and responded with faith and your life was transformed by the Holy Spirit. You received the Holy Spirit and that didn't happen through the law, did it? And so why are you making this argument for the law and not the gospel? You experience new life because the law, not because the law did anything, but because the gospel did something. And so brothers and sisters this morning, we know that we are alive in Christ and the life that we live in the flesh, we now live in Christ Jesus because we experience that new life. How do we know we're alive? Because we experienced it. Not just because we heard a gospel message and intellectually agreed that it was true, 
But you know what I'm talking about when we say we felt the love of God, we had the Holy Spirit come into our life, we felt the transformation taking place, and we continue to feel alive in Christ. If you were to ask me right now how I know I am alive today, I don't go dig up hospital birth records and, you know, photographs of me as a child and school records of, you know, I passed grade 8 and I, you know, I got through grade 12 and show you a whole bunch of paperwork and say, yeah, I must be a living people, person. You know, I'm, I must be alive because look at all this evidence that I'm alive. If you ask me how I know I'm alive today, it's because I'm breathing and my heart's beating. Right? I know I'm alive today because I experience life. And that's what Paul is saying of our spiritual life. He's saying we know we are alive through the gospel because when the gospel finally reached us, when the gospel finally intersected our life in a way that it was transforming, we know we are alive because we experienced the new life in the Spirit. And we didn't get our life straightened out first. The new life came along even though we were still law-breaking sinners. This is another way we know that the law does nothing to bring life because, in fact, when the gospel intersected our life and when the Spirit of God came into our life and we got the new life in Christ Jesus, we were still law-breaking sinners at that point. The law was not bringing us life at all. It was killing us. And this is what a lot of people get wrong looking for religion. And this is what the Galatians were getting wrong. And this is what Paul was fighting so hard about to say there is no other gospel. People are looking for religion and they get it wrong. And then they're surprised when instead of religion, they discover Jesus. Because people think that Christianity works something like this. Jesus approaches all of us individually because his call goes out to everyone. So they agree with that and they say, okay, so Jesus approaches everybody and says something like, you know, I really want you on my team, Paul. Me, Paul, not the Apostle Paul. You know, you know, I, I've seen you, Paul, and I'm making this offer. I, I really want you on my team, but wow, there is a lot of stuff that has to get sorted out in your life before that can happen. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a list so stop swearing, that has to go. No more drinking, that has to die. Stay away from the girls, be a nicer person, be a better parent, be a good spouse. Get all these things on this list sorted out, Paul, and then I'll come back and you can be on my team. That's religion. That is not the gospel. Jesus comes and says, you're a mess, I love you. Okay? There is no list, there is no law. There's this Jesus who loves you. That other stuff is religion. That other stuff is false gospels. Okay? And this is what Paul is so excited about and exercised about because he says, the law didn't bring you the Spirit. You received the Spirit because you believed in what Jesus did for you. And that that's not what happened. That... That, that's, that Jesus would come and say that you have to do all these things in order to get on his team. That's not what any new Christian ever experienced in the 2,000-year histories of, of coming to Jesus' moments. And all of you Christians out there know what I'm talking about. When, when the gospel finally intersected your life and Jesus and you saw Jesus for who he was and you responded to that, it was just him and you and his love accepting you. No list, just as you are. When the gospel finally reaches our hearts, when we're finally saved, when we're rescued, when we're welcomed, when we're adopted, we are justified, we're declared righteous, and we receive new life in Christ. Jesus just did it in a moment, right in the condition that we were in. 
And the law doesn't say any of that. The law says here's a whole bunch of stuff you have to do in order to maybe make it on the team. So there's lots more to get through here, so I've got to go. But it's important that you understand that. That we, that we were not perfect law keepers. That we were not some holy, moral, religious person. And that's why Jesus accepted us. Or that we had to get ourselves into some position for Jesus to accept us. He accepts us as law-breaking sinners. He wants to move us out of that. Make no doubt, He doesn't want to leave us there. But the Gospel is not the law. The Gospel is that Christ loved you and died for you. And the life that you can live, you can now live in Jesus Christ and not under the law. So then He goes on. He says, He calls them fools again. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And so now He's saying, so if that's true of you, that you have had that experience with Jesus Christ and you now live by the Spirit, he then goes on to say, so now having begun by the Spirit, if that's true of you, are you now being perfected by the flesh? It's another rhetorical question, or we could just call it a well-duh question. You know, So you started this new life in the Spirit. Do you figure that you're perfecting or completing that new life by your flesh? How does that make any sense? In Colossians 2.6, Paul says something similar. He says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. The same idea here. How did you receive Jesus? You received Jesus by grace through faith in the Gospel. And so how are you going to continue to live? By grace through faith. And some people, now Christians, not just people seeking religion, but now Christians get this wrong too. right? We get, we get mixed up in this area. We have a hard time understanding what this grace of God means. We are so conditioned to believe that there's no such thing as a free lunch. That if it's too good to be true, then it is. The world has taught us that lesson so well that as Christians, we take that worldly teaching and we tragically apply it to the grace of God. And we concede maybe. We say, okay... I, You know, I understand grace. God loved me even when I was a law-breaking sinner. Jesus came to me and He loved me and I concede to you that God is gracious in extending me that mercy. And maybe by God's grace I might get invited to sit at the banquet table with God, but once I'm at the table, it's my manners that keep me there. Don't we make this mistake quite often? Yeah, God saved me and He got me to the banquet, but I gotta be careful not to put my elbows on the table and I gotta make sure I don't drop a fork, you know, or use the wrong fork because there's like six of them and I don't know which fork I'm supposed to use, right? Or drink water out of the wine glass or wine out of the water glass. We think that God's grace gets us to the banquet, but then it's our manners that keep us there. But what is Paul saying? He's saying, no, just as you received Christ Jesus, so live in Him. By Grace through faith, we continue. God's grace got us to the banquet table. God's grace keeps us at the banquet table. Okay? Don't make this mistake. This is the mistake the Galatians are making. They're either thinking they need the law to justify them, or they're thinking that they need the law to keep them justified. One or the other. And neither of them are true. And this is why Paul is... Very excited about this because he knows it's not true and he doesn't want them to believe it. I mean, that's not even law really anymore. That's just, that's just paganism that somehow we have to perform a certain way so that God stays happy with us. Right? 
So Paul just keeps rolling in with these rhetorical questions. He says, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? He's basically saying, now, Christians, like, don't you remember the suffering we went through? Have you forgotten this experience that we had as Christians in life together? And the account of Paul's opening up the region of Galatia to the Gospels recorded in Acts 13 and, and following. And what we see in Acts is that Paul is persecuted for preaching the Gospel in that region. It's a, it's a region that's not friendly to the teaching about Jesus, and the, the Christians there were not welcomed, and the, the churches were not warmly embraced. And so, again, Paul appeals to their life experience, and he says, you've had this gospel, you love the gospel, Jesus loved you, you experienced his Holy Spirit, you know that you are there by grace through faith, and you were persecuted, actually, you were suffering for what you believed. Was it pointless to defend that justification comes through grace and by faith in Jesus alone? Was it worthless for you to suffer for that message if you're now going to abandon it? If you're now going to accept the idea, well, you know, that, you know, that, that grace through faith thing that Paul taught and we suffered for, that was really good. But you know, religion seems to work too. These Judaizers make a really good point. So maybe their religion works just as well as that one. And, and Paul's saying, why did you suffer for the gospel if you're just going to give it up in order to say, well, you know, this Judaizing religion looks just as good too. And that's going on right now. Paul would be dropping the same foolish language on us today just as much as on the Galatians. Because there are all these supposed church leaders and churches out there right now today that are saying, yeah, that gospel message that the disciples died for and that gospel message that Christians were killed in the circus by lions for and burnt at the stake for, it's not really that important. You know, you can find God lots of ways. There's churches out there that'll teach that. There's, there's church leaders out there that say, yeah, you know, the disciples died for that, and, you know, Christians were persecuted for that, and people were burned at the stake for the gospel, but you know what? You can find Jesus through Kabbalah. You can find it in Hinduism. You can get to God. There's lots of different ways to get to God. And Paul would say, why were we being killed? Why were we being put to the sword? Why were we being put to death? Why were we being burned at the stake? Why in the Reformation would people be burned at the stake so that you could have the Bible in front of you today to hear the gospel? Why would they be imprisoned and tortured and killed by the Catholic Church so that they could set people free from the law or from a corruption of the gospel? Why would that happen? That's, that's Paul's argument here. That's his rhetorical question. He says, why did you suffer so many things in vain? If just any old religion will do, then what were we dying for? He says, this is ridiculous. Foolish Galatians, foolish Christians. Paul's pen would be smoking if he wrote a letter to the churches today. It would be, right? Like it would just be on fire. Wow. So Paul's just saying, like you cannot affirm the errors and, and call yourself a church. These things directly contradict the grace of God and faith in Jesus Christ. And then Paul keeps the pressure on, because i got to go. Uh, so we got to keep going. But So he said, So then, does he who provided you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Same thing. What about the miracles? How about those? When, when you were studying the law, did the law bring you miracles? Did it bring you new life? Did the law heal you? Did the law set you free from addiction and bondage and sin and fill you with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control? 
And Paul is speaking here, I think, specifically about the miracles that accompanied him as an apostle while he was preaching the gospel. All through the book of Acts, we see that Peter and Paul and John and the apostles, wherever they were going and bringing the gospel into new territory, there were miraculous signs that came with them to affirm that their message was true. And so they were healing people. You just had to touch a cloth that Paul had once touched in faith and you could be healed. And I'm not saying those miraculous healings are gone today. They're not. God still heals miraculously. God still works as God wants to work through his people. But I think Paul is speaking specifically here about the miraculous signs that the Galatians saw that accompanied him with his message of the gospel. And so he's saying then, so when the Spirit came and and we had this outpouring of the Spirit and I was among you and all those miracles were being worked, were those miracles being done by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith? And again, it's a rhetorical question. It's like a well-duh question. Yeah, we already know the answer. It was by hearing with faith. The miracle of God's active Holy Spirit working in our life comes through hearing with faith, not through the law. You can read and follow the law to death. There is no miracle there for you. There is only the miracle of knowing Jesus by grace through faith. But we can also consider this in light of the miracle of the gospel itself and the transforming work that it does in our own lives and the miraculous experience that we have from time to time through our Christian life. You know, as people really are healed, as addictions really do just evaporate, as hate really is replaced with love, as truth replaces lies, as joy replaces despair, as relationships are restored, did the law do any of that for you? And I know all the Christians out there are saying, no, the law didn't do any of that for me. It was Christ Jesus. It was the gospel. It was the good news of redemption that healed me, that restored me, that did all those things. And so Paul says, come on, Christians, why would you leave the gospel behind after you have been shown so much new life through it? You have had all these life experiences You've had the miracles. You've had the new life of the, of the Holy Spirit in you. You, you know, you had all of this happen. Why would you bail out on the gospel? I really got to pick things up now. Now Paul shifts his argument for the last three verses and he moves off the experience of the new life of the Galatians by the Spirit of God and he brings it back to the truth of Scripture. And Paul knows these Galatians have been bewitched, right? They've lost their whole train of thought here and they've been charmed. And so Paul goes back to this idea of their mind being confused and how they've lost their understanding. He he explains the experiences, but now he's going back in these final three verses and he's going to deal with the truth of the gospel again. And he just devastates this ridiculous argument about the law being a means of justification with the cold, hard facts straight from the law itself, straight from the Old Testament. He says in verse 6, "...even so Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness." I mean, talk about pulling the rug out from underneath an argument. I mean, what just happened here? This is Abraham, okay? This is Abraham, book of Genesis, Abraham. 2,500 years before Jesus came, Abraham, at least. And Paul says, Abraham believed, Abraham trusted, Abraham had faith, and it was counted to him as righteousness. In Genesis 15:6, if you're wondering what he's quoting. Abraham was justified by faith and not the law. So Judaizers, Galatians, why are you saying you're justified by the law? Abraham was justified by faith. Explain the logic here to me. He says, therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The scripture 
So the Bible tells us, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. That is a earth-shattering sentence. Okay? The gospel was preached to Abraham. And it was preached in this promise that all the nations will be blessed in you so that those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. And so the Bible in the Old Testament just told us that Abraham was not saved by his works but by faith. And so, Galatians, how are you telling me now that the law justifies you? In fact, and here's the logic bomb that Paul drops. If you, it's not explicit, but it's implicit if you know your Bible. How could Abraham be justified by the law? How could Abraham be counted righteous 430 years before the law was written? Couldn't be. Abraham didn't have the law. Moses brought the law. Abraham is 430 years before the law. And so how could the law be responsible for his righteousness? And there's a lot more, though, that that we could unpack about Abraham, but we'll do that next week as, as Paul continues. Paul says that Scripture tells us Abraham heard the gospel inside a promise that God gave him, and that's the important thing for us to conclude on today. The gospel that Abraham heard was essentially a promise, and that's what the gospel is for us today. The gospel is a promise. The gospel he heard was inside the promise that all the nations would be blessed in him. And it's not just Paul trying to bolster his argument with some clever Old Testament interpretation. Okay, let's take that off the table. Don't just think, well, this is the Apostle Paul and he wants to prove his point, so he goes back and he's interpreted it that way. No, 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 no. It's not just Paul. Okay? Jesus tells us the exact same thing and he told the Pharisees that, that what was, that's what was going on. He says in John 8, 56... He says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Okay, so this isn't just Paul's argument. This is Jesus telling us, Abraham saw me. Abraham heard the gospel and he believed. And that's why he was counted righteous. But what was there before the law? As I said, there was a promise from God and Abraham trusted that promise. And that's what I want to land on today. That's what it means for us today. Christians, we know the gospel's true because the gospel saved us and the gospel gave us new life, right? Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That Christians, that's what we experience. That's what we know is that we have life because the Spirit in us and we live the life that we live now in the flesh in Christ Jesus. The life Paul is talking about is the life we experience by the Spirit of God. And Christian, it, it may have been a long time ago, but you experienced new life. You felt it. right? You know when that new life came into you. And it may have come along gradually and there was that day when you realized it. Or it may have come suddenly. You remember my birthday was my birthday was a couple weekends ago, and I was home with my home with my mom, and, and we were actually walking out of church, and she asked me, she said, "Paul, do you remember that day?" And I said, "I I do remember the doctor leaving the room, but I don't remember him coming in." Okay, my memory's not that good, but but we know we are alive because we experienced new birth. We were there when it happened. Okay. And as Christians, we have the experience of the Holy Spirit to affirm that in us. But 
We don't need to go searching for more in order to be assured of our justification or our salvation. We can rest in the finished work of Jesus. We were sinners when Jesus found us and he extended his grace to us while we were still sinners and his grace won't fail to keep us in relationship to him. We have that in the spirit in us. So we need to remember the new life that we have in the spirit and live in that new life. That's what Paul is saying to Christians. He's saying, don't be foolish like the Galatians, but remember this. But some of you, You don't have this experience yet. You don't know what I'm talking about because you have not given up your struggle against the gospel and given up your struggle and your rebellion against God and let the truth of Him claim you. And so you may just laugh at the idea of sin and grace and good news and Jesus or or you don't think that you need any of that at all or, or maybe some of you still think that you can just be a good enough person and that God will have to somehow accept you because you tried really hard. Or that whatever religion or worldview you have works just as well as anything else. And that you can be righteous and justified and qualified before God regardless of what you believe. But it doesn't work that way. There is only one way to be right with God and one way to enjoy His presence for eternity. And it's the same way for everyone. It's absolutely free. You simply have to trust like Abraham did. What did Abraham have? He had a promise. And that's what the gospel is. The gospel is this. God says, I promise that my son's death and resurrection was enough. And my promise says that just like I raised him from the dead, if you believe on him, I will raise you from the dead and you'll be with me forever. That's God's promise and that's the gospel. And if you believe on that promise the way Abraham believed on God's promise, then you are counted as righteous and justified before God. It works the same way. It's by grace of God that he gives us the opportunity through faith to believe in Christ Jesus, his son. And that what he did on the cross pays for all of our rebellion and all of our wandering and all of our sin and all of our foolishness. The price is paid and it's finished. And then we will experience new life in Christ Jesus. You will experience what I've been talking about. You will feel new birth by the Holy Spirit. And you'll be filled with the Spirit and transformed and miraculously set free. That's the reality of the gospel that Paul is arguing so passionately for in Galatians. And he doesn't want Christians or non-Christians to miss it. Don't give in to some other foolish law or religion or gospel when you have already experienced the true gospel or you have the opportunity to hear the true gospel and experience new life in the Spirit. Don't be foolish. Hear the gospel and respond to it. We're going to go into communion now in the time that we have remaining. And communion is a time for those of us who do know God and do have this relationship with Christ Jesus. And it's a time when we actually get to, in a very special way, as a church family, sit down at a table, literally at the banquet table, with Jesus and to just commune with him and talk to him. And he wants you there. And Paul talks about this. He talks about it to the Corinthians who weren't really doing a great job of it. And he reminds them what it's for. He says, I receive from the Lord that which I passed also on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the body that Jesus gave up on the cross for us. And then in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's what we want to do this morning. We want to just take some quiet time now. I'm just going to bow. Let's just take some quiet time in prayer and prepare our hearts to come to the table with the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he wants us at his banquet table, and he keeps us at his banquet table by grace. And so just relish in that and, and enjoy that this morning as we take communion. And if you haven't experienced this new life, if you don't have the new birth, if you don't even know if you're invited to the banquet table, you can be this morning, right now. You can just close your eyes and you can come to God and you say, I lay down my rebellion. I lay down my foolishness. I lay down my willfulness. I want to receive your grace and your forgiveness. I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit so that I can be with you forever. You can pray that prayer even right now. Let's pray.